Southwestern family of companies welcomes you to the Action Catalyst. Each week, our diversely and amazingly accomplished guests share their insights and inspirations to help us ignite our own. So let's invest attention together to breathe, to reflect and refocus, and decisively defeat that voice we call Mr. Mediocrity. Then let's enjoy moving forward to make a positive difference in our world. Today's guest is actor, comedian, and entrepreneur Michael Stein. His acting credits include such Oscar-winning films as La La Land and Boogie Nights, and the company he founded with zero money has gone on to see revenues of over $100 million. Among his other accomplishments, Michael is also the host of Long Shot Leaders podcast. We hope you enjoy Dan Moore's talk with Michael Stein. Well, Michael Stein, welcome to the Action Catalyst. It is great to have you on today. Oh, thank you so much. Glad to be here. Well, I read over your bio and I've decided in addition to all the other achievements, you have the ability to inhabit multiple personalities in one body. <laughs> yeah, everybody's got sub-personalities, right? And I guess I'm no stranger. So I've learned to adopt those sub-personalities and not let those lines uh, limit me, I guess. It's truly amazing from entrepreneur to actor, to producer, to director, to facilitator of other people's success, to coach, creative personality, comedian, so many things you've accomplished in your life. It's incredible. And we're so glad you're on the show today. One of the whole purposes of what we do is to try to inspire people's own excitement about life, excitement about their own potential. And some of our listeners are on top of the world and some are really struggling right now and everybody's in between somewhere in those lines. So I wonder if you wouldn't mind maybe just kind of backing through some of your timeline and really share what you consider the most important pivot moments, you know, where you're headed in a certain direction and either an influence from someone else or an internal choice you made caused you to take off in a totally different direction. And when you reflect back on it, putting all those together has led you to this great position you're in today. Great question. Uh, I guess I, I got to start with a little bit of my backstory. My grandmother escaped the Russian concentration camps on her way to America. My dad was a homeless uh, New York street kid, became a multimillionaire to become homeless again. I was born premature, health issues, learning disabilities. Didn't know what it was back then, but I was put in a special school, UCLA, called for an all school for about six months. ADHD, ADD, dyslexia, health issues. Really didn't have any success, uh, you know, other than, you know, making people laugh. You know, as a basket case, you know, for all intents and purposes, until I was like nine or 10 years old, like most kids. And uh, I saw the movie Rocky and I was super inspired. And I saw a guy like Mia, he, you know, he wasn't physically fit. He was funny, but he didn't succeed, but he kept on getting back up and trying. And I said, there's a guy like me. The only difference is between this guy and myself is that he's physically fit. So I made that my cause celeb, you know, every day since then. And by the time I was 16, I was a physical fitness trainer and I, you know, was known as successful at those two things. And I said, well, the success is going to be just a, something that I could just work on like a muscle. I decided to become a nightclub promoter because I did stand up comedy for the first time. When I was 19, brought a lot of people in there. I said, I could do this with nightclubs. Within six months after that, I became the number one nightclub promoter in Los Angeles, in my age bracket. And I started to say, you know, okay, that was started my entrepreneurial journey really. Hmm. And I've had so many successes and failures since that day. When I became a nightclub promoter, it segued into me, my first acting role playing Dirt Diggler and the Dirt Diggler story, which became the movie Boogie Nights, which I appear in as well. That started my filmmaking. Then through winning awards, that started my entrepreneurial career. So all these successes and failures and the ebb and flow of that, those were all success I've had, if that answers your question. Oh, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. There's so much life you packed into the last couple of moments. Have you ever met Sly Stallone? No, I would love to. I met Arnold Schwarzenegger once and that was like a, a great experience, but 
you know, of all the people that I, I really should meet, I would like to meet him one day. Yes. Well, because I can tell you, you're grateful for that immense impact that that film had in your life. And in some ways, what he did as an actor, insisting that he be the one to act in that film when they wanted other people to be in the film, he insisted it be him or it wouldn't be made, which showed that belief in him. And that was his one shot, just like taking on Apollo Creed. Now, you alluded a moment ago, you've had this 22-year trajectory of great success. And what I love about it, it's not only in a business that nobody really thinks about, being in the business of tarps, tarpaulins, <laughs> but also how many you have donated and given away to worthy causes to help people in difficult times. Have you always had this sense of, of giving back? And where does that come from? The way that started was I always had a soft spot for the homeless because my great-grandparents were homeless when they first got here. My dad, he was put in an orphanage when he was eight years old, and then he ran away, and he was homeless. So I always had a connection towards people that were homeless. But what started was when I was promoting nightclubs, I started a, the night before Thanksgiving, all the college kids would come back to in LA, phone to college, and it would be a big night. And I did something called turkey soup, where if you came to the club and you gave a canned food for the homeless, you'd get in for half price. Mm -hmm. And it was a big event every year. And when I stopped promoting clubs, I said, I really miss that, those big events and that vibe. And, and it was a selfish thing. I felt good about doing that, but it was also to get people to the club. So then when I started this business and I started looking for a product, I just wanted to do something on the internet. And I started looking at products that I wanted to sell. And to me, it had to be something that felt like important, something that was substantial, something that everybody needed, something that was kind of like can be used for many different applications and also something that can be donated. So LA has one of the highest you know, homeless populations mm -hmm. on the planet. They need tarps because it gets so cold, they need to protect themselves. So it was a natural progression to start donating that the day before Thanksgiving, they do a big event down there in downtown LA and they donate tarps and we get to donate tarps for the homeless for people that need to be protected. I think that's phenomenal. And as you said, it feels good to give back and that reinforces the desire to do it again and again and again. And that's what leads to a cycle of good giving. Right. Well, along the way in this brilliant career path you've had, Michael, surely you've hit a number of brick walls. What have you learned is working for you when you hit one of these unexpected brick wall moments? Luckily, I've had so much failure in the beginning of my life. You know, I always quote this line, you know, it's from the movie, The Natural. Glenn Close says this to Robert Redford says, I believe we have two lives, one that we learn with and the second half of life of that one that we live with. So I had so much failure and I, what got me to understand the ebb and flow of that is I got heavily involved in personal development and, you know, for every failure, there's a particular methodology or circumstance that you have to go to that crossroad. So immediately when you hit that failure, you have to change your physiology, change your focus, change your vocabulary, because you need to start opening up the possibility of a trajectory going in the right direction. So immediately you have to change your physiology because that dictates, you know, an environment where you can start to ask yourself better questions, empowering questions. So it's called the triad of emotions in the personal development world. And basically you have irreverently change your body. And then you irreverently force yourself to answer empowering questions like, what's great about this? Well, my dad just died, but what's great about it? I know it sounds crazy. What can I learn from this? What's interesting about this? What's funny about this? Can I, what can I do with this? Can I write about this? Can I do it in a stand-up routine? Can I write a screenplay about it? Can I use this in business? What can I do? So these are all empowering questions as opposed to somebody says, this is screwed up. There's nothing I could do about this. What am I going to do about this? You know, those are disempowering questions. I'm, I'm very methodical about it now because of that. So when I hit those crossroads, it's unconscious competence at this point where it's automatically like a muscle worked in where something happens, it's really bad. 
I'm automatically changing my physiology. I'm taking a deep breath. I'm doing a Superman pose. I'm, I'm, I'm visualizing where I want to go next. How does this fit into my story of my life, the canvas that I'm painting in my life? So that's where I go automatically. Right. Now, how do you avoid the sense of complacency? How do you keep yourself growing? Well, growth is naturally, it's, it's one of the six human needs, you're right. So certainty, uncertainty, significance, growth, contribution, and love, right? So growth is really important. If you, if I told you, you know, you're going to do the same thing every day, you're not going to, you know, progress, but you know, it's going to be, you're just going to do the same thing every single day. And you're never going to get beyond this point. You'd be really measurable. You want to have some type of level of growth. So I visualize a um, story at the end of this canvas that we're painting for a movie. I'm directing a movie. The movie is my life, you know? What kind of father I want to be? What kind of husband I want to be? What kind of business person I want to be? What kind of morals do I want to have? What kind of decisions I want to make every day? How do I want my health to look? All those questions. So I'm constantly working towards a goal, a smart goal, right? It's got to be specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and time-bound. So I'm constantly working towards that goal to get towards where I want to go. Mm-hmm. And we all have the ability to play those movies in our mind if we choose to and do it consciously. Sound like you made a real habit out of that. And in some ways, it's as if we're watching a, a series that's had several seasons and they announce that it's the final season. And we're all disappointed. And then we learn there's another season that's been picked up again. <laughs> and sometimes that movie of our minds can go that way too. It can always be a new season's renewing. Let's get excited about what direction it can go in. That's right. That's right. Well, I really enjoy the, the title of your, your mission, really, which is to highlight long shot leaders. Do you have some favorites you'd like to share? You know, I'll, I'll do a couple. You know, there's like, of course, one of the most impacting to me is on, that we've had on the show is uh, Ben Lesser, a 92-year-old Holocaust survivor. He has, became a successful uh, businessman and author. Seeing that, you know, long-term trajectory of success out of the bowels of utter hell uh, was really the biggest arc I could think of. And the part that really gets me with some leaders, when they're unsung, but you know, there's something deep down great in them. They don't sing for themselves, you know, and, and it's just great to, to see that kind of story. I think it's fantastic. And do you have any thoughts, Michael, on what those of us in leadership roles that work with lots of people, what we can do to help inspire somebody that doesn't see themselves as a leader, but inside them, we can see stuff. How do we get them to recognize more of their own potential and ability? And any thoughts on that one? Well, when you talk to somebody, have loving vigilance in your heart to teach them. It's not about you. It's about them. So whatever they want, giving your heart, because you know, that's like the best you can be giving your heart for them. That's the first step. Then I would say, you've got to talk to them. 75% of the rapport and 75% of teaching is listening. Where are they at? What's going on? What's their psyche like? You know, so I need to know what they're all about or what stories that they're giving themselves that are enabling them for success or what stories they're giving themselves that are disabling them. And then I would start to, you know, see what their patterns are. And depending on what it is, you know, I would tell them first, get yourself ready to be open to learn and grow. First of all, they have to want to be an open vessel to learn and grow, the want. And then we'll get into nine times out of 10. It's like they're going through a pattern of every time they hit a crossroads or a ditch, they have a recipe for failure. Their bodies are slumped. They are not, they're focusing on what went wrong and reliving that over their head. Their vocabulary is not only as they explain it to somebody, it's disabling, and it's also their inner dialogue is disabling to them. That's the recipe for disaster. And then we'd have to get into, you know, what their specific goals are and get the weeds on that thing. Yeah, yeah. It seems like one of the most important things is how people realize their own behavioral patterns. 
some of the best times that people understand how valuable is when they're feeling like they're on fire, there's actually something that you could do and you can trigger a, you can create a trigger. When you're in the peak state, you can create a physical trigger that will enable you. And if you do it long and frequently enough, it will be a little extra boost to get you into positive state. So if I were to say, when you're in peak state, every time you create a, a, a particular kind of move, before I did stand-up comedy, I would do up like a punch, punch my, my open fist, my own little thing. And I would kind of walk back and forth like Mike Tyson before I was going to get on, on stage. Well, I only did that when I was in peak state. When I did it so much, when I needed to get into state and get into performing mode, I would start to do that and automatically it helped me because this is what your physiology has been used to. It's a trigger. Uh-huh. In a lot of ways, it's not really self-hypnosis as much as it's a Pavlovian response that we create in ourselves. So we only do that motion, only do that physicality, only do that gesture, only do that statement when we're in a peak state. So then we begin to associate that movement, gesture, action with the peak state. So when we're not in a peak state, we can pull that out of the closet and say, bingo, and it makes that happen. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a reactionary muscle. Now, when certain things happen, you're just automatically in that mode of like taking care of it. It's almost like, you know, remember Neo and the end of Matrix, he sees the Matrix and he's fighting uh, Smith. And, and afterwards, he just looks at it and goes, oh, I'm just knocking these punches around this. I'm just knocking them here and there and there. After a while, you've done so many reps of that trigger, it become a lot easier. Tell me about mornings for a second, Michael. Do you have a, a routine in the morning that you've adopted as, as sort of your wake-up strategy habit? How do you start your day? Yeah, I just did one a couple of years ago, and it's really been good for me. I, I get my sleep. I get seven and a half, eight hours, about, you know, some, sometimes maybe seven. But I always make sure I get that. And I wake up at 6.20. I go on the trampoline, get my lymph fluid going, go upside down, make sure, you know, I, you know, on the inverter table, do that for about a couple minutes. And then I'll do uh, five minutes of cardio and then I'll do uh, abs and then I'll do five to 10 minutes of cardio. And that's like a mini workout. Mm-hmm. And then I go to work. And then when I, when I get home, I'll do like an anaerobic accompanied by some uh, aerobic and doing that uh, really sets a trajectory of my physiology to get in state to perform, to concentrate. I got the ADHD, right? So I need to keep my um, dopamine up every hour. I'll like do like 30 jumping jacks, pump up my dopamine and to get some oxygen going through my body. So I'm able to concentrate on the business that I'm doing, but you know, it, it's just become a routine and that's what I do. It sounds like you're not a big fan of the snooze alarm. <laughs> no, because <laughs> no, that, that, now it's a trigger, right? So now when that alarm gets off, I, I just get up and I do the same thing. You know, it's a, uh, Kind of like, I don't know, Einstein used to wear the same thing every day. Mm. You know, you find patterns that work for you. Well, what's great about it is though you can practice these things unconsciously, you can back down to the level of conscious competency and teach the rest of us. That's the thing. You find out what works for you and, you know, those levels of consciousness, right? Which are, you have unconscious incompetence. Somebody, you don't know how to tie a shoe and you don't even know what it is. And then somebody tells you, it's like, okay, now I have conscious incompetence, right? And then you tie in the shoe and you're aware of that. And then you get, conscious competence where I know how to do it, but I'm, I'm aware every time I do it, you want to get to that level, like you say, unconscious competence where you're doing it. You don't realize you do it because you do it all the time. And now you can move on to the next thing where, you know, you try to learn, you know, to where it becomes effortless. Right. And I really think leaders need to be able to back down one level to unpack what they do so well and show others step-by-step how to do it. Just like teaching somebody to tie a shoe. If you say, well, just tie a shoe, just go tie your shoe is nothing but frustration, but to say, okay, you right hand or left hand pick the first string, lift it up, try this, try that. Walk them through is exhausting, but that's the only way people can gain a new skill. 
and walking them through it back and down to the level where it's conscious once again for ourselves. It's exhausting. And the most exhausting part is trying to teach it to one of your kids. Because <laughs> they, yes. they, don't, they don't, don't listen to a stranger more than they listen to you. Yeah, I call that Little League Coach Syndrome. What coach told me all these brilliant things today? What'd he tell you? Oh, the same stuff I've been telling you for five years. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Well, Michael, based on all of your, your life experiences, your learning, people you've spoken with, what kind of encouragements could you throw out to some of our listeners who are just really pretty bummed and discouraged? What would you advise people that just are dead in their tracks, not sure what to do next? I would ask them, hey, have you guys ever seen a movie where somebody was down and out? Your life is like a movie. I mean, who do you think wrote those movies? Just writers, just people living life. So why don't you just look at your life like it's a movie? You could do that. It's all, everything is possible. So just realize that that terrible moment, if you could find a way to take that tragedy, whatever it is, you take this tragedy and you create your movie, you create your life, you're painting a canvas. If you're looking along those lines, now you take pride in getting over that thing. If you can just realize that you are in control of making things better in the future, you have to believe that as much as that bad thing was written, you could write something that was great after that. So just, that's what I would say, you know, out of that dark time, you'll find a trajectory of light. That is for sure, as long as you take time to take that journey and walk on that path. Mm -hmm. I love the phrase, have you ever seen a movie where, because people can always relate to a movie like that. And film can bring out things in us that other things don't. I was just reminded about It's a Wonderful Life as you were speaking. Our family watches it at Christmas time each year. But it's good at any time of the year when we say, oh, if only this bad thing hadn't happened, look how great life would be. The alternative future that was created was far better because he was willing to accept the tragedy that had occurred and move forward. That's right. Frank Capra was, uh, he, he knew that. That movie came out at a very particular time where people needed that. I think it was after World War II, right? But uh, that's the thing, you know, and, and a lot of people, you know, you'll tell them, this is where you could rewrite the story. Don't you guys, doesn't everybody like a good story inspired by that low point? This is your story and you could rewrite it, believe it or not, no matter if you're nine or 90, you could rewrite that story and it could be wonderful. I like that nine or 90. I work with college students and I often tell them your future you is looking back at you right now. And the future is either thanking you for the choices you're making today or it's shaking its head saying, why on earth did you do that? Because we always have a future self that we want to please. And it starts with what we do right now. Yeah, that's a good one. Michael, this has been a very rapid presentation, very rapid interview, but I'm encouraged and uplifted. You reminded me about physiology. It's so good. I've been breathing more deeply as a result of this. <laughs> Getting my own movie playing in better directions than it has been. And it's been pretty darn good. So it's, it's wonderful to have this inspiration and acceleration from you. Oh, that's nice. Well, I'm sure you do it already, but you know, it's just, you know, uh, we're all in this together, right? You know, we're all doing the same stuff. You know, I, I think that the gift that I have uh, has been, um, I've failed so much that once I realized that, uh, you know, you just don't try to be anything you're not, you're, you open up the doors towards your embarrassment and, and you have to do that when you're, especially when you're a comedian that, you know, uh, it helps you with everything else in your life. And um, that's why I do the podcast. I knew if I was going to do a podcast, it would have to be, you know, you, you write what you know. So I knew mm -hmm. a podcast would have to be the same way. And that's why I tell these stories. And that's, I guess, why we're talking about it today. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you share from the heart. And we are so grateful for that. And I know our listeners are as well. Michael Stein, thank you so much for contributing so vitally to the Action Catalyst. Oh, thank you so much. A pleasure. If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to subscribe. 
To stay updated on everything that the Action Catalyst is up to, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst Podcast and Twitter at Catalyst underscore Action. Thanks for listening.